Hello and welcome to Penalty Box here to hear an ESPN 1025 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny taking care of us as always behind the glass. And folks, I'll say this, and this may be controversial to some people, uh, maybe not controversial oh, to goodness. others, but oh boy, but the National Predators are good. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of people, even outside of Nashville, that will stand behind you on that one, Justin. I think so. I think so. This is... I know we've talked about it a few times, but now 34 games in the season, we are closely approaching the halfway mark of the season. Predators, How is that possible? I, I know, I know. <laughs> the Predators currently in first. I know teams below them have games in hand, but as it stands right now, they are currently in first. And wow, in, in, the, in the division and very close in the conference as well, they're second in terms of points in the conference. And then even if you look at points percentage, they'd be third overall in the conference, just behind Colorado and St. Louis. So the National Predators are good, and they're finding ways to win. They had have had great goaltending. They've had their producers producing. And you've had some secondary scoring coming up now as well with the rookie that is just making waves and creating conversations on Twitter that I just can't get out of my mentions right now, thanks to my buddy. Cal Perkins with his memes that he puts out there with stats and really oh. angering Red Wings fans uh, while he's doing it. <laughs> but this team, Glenn, has shown that they have what it takes to be competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. They can go out and win games. They can go out and put on an impressive performance uh, where they'll beat a team like the Chicago Blackhawks and not be you know, good with their performance <laughs> against that team where they win by five goals. Uh, they have yep. a defenseman playing like a Norris Trophy candidate again. They have a rookie playing like a Calder Trophy candidate. They have a goaltender playing like a Vezina Trophy candidate. And when you look at the points overall for this team in terms of stats and point production, typically before in the past, I'd look at, oh, wow, they only have like two guys that are playing at a pace they should be playing at. Whereas right now they have five that are almost point per game players mm-hmm. or just about point per game players that has not happened in a while for this team Roman Yossi, Mikhail Grandlin, Matt Duchesne, Philip Forza, Ryan Johansson all playing like they should be playing what has impressed you the most over this run so far this season over the way this team has performed Glenn? I think just the well-roundedness I know we often talk about depth and that's kind of where I'm headed with the idea of well-roundedness because like you said there have been times in the past where we watched this team and you're just almost just holding your breath, just hoping that that one player is going to come out and show us what he's got and he's going to save the game. That's not what we're watching this season at all. And when you've got that plus stellar goaltending pretty much night in and night out, it's, it's, it's hard to lose. Um, And I know that we've talked ad nauseum about the confidence that we've seen this season but there's a reason why we continue to have that conversation because it's a difference maker the confidence these guys are out there and I've said it before and I'm going to say it again they are having a lot of fun and those make those their attitude out on the ice that fun that you can tell that they're having a good time that makes the game so much more enjoyable um and so I they're an absolute joy to watch this season because you're not sitting around holding your breath saying, well, if, you know, if Johansson doesn't do it, then this game is, this game's a wrap. It's, it's coming from all lines. It's coming from the defense. It's coming and you've got Saros and net it's, they're just incredibly well-rounded. And I think I'm most impressed with how they have adapted to John Hines system 
not all at the same time, but kind of, it's all just <laughs> kind of coming together at the same time is what it feels like. It, it really does. And it's been curious as well too, because this wasn't expected. This has not been expected for, for this team. We knew that they could mm-hmm. be fun, that it could be fun having lots of young players out there too. But then you have these guys like Matt Duchesne around Johansson, especially that have stepped up to perform like, Oh wow, this is what we've been wanting to see for a long period of time. And they're doing it. And it makes a whole world of difference when you have those two guys playing at a point per game pace. And then mm-hmm. they found ways to win. Like every team has had to find ways to win dealing with uh, players being out on COVID protocol list and things like that. But the predators have shown depth, which has been a key word for so many teams of what's the depth been like, Well, they're able to slot guys in and they're still finding ways to win. That's so important and key with this season, yep. just like it was last season, to have that type of depth. And the NHL obviously reinstituted a taxi squad uh, for the time being as well, dealing with with another outbreak and everything. But one of those players has obviously been dynamic, so we can't go without mentioning him, especially with the goal that he had. Uh, Philip Forsberg mm-hmm. has just been insane. Uh, and there's this is what you want out of a player with his status, especially in a contract year two, is there's hardly a game that he doesn't have a point. That's what it's supposed mm-hmm. to be like. You're supposed to expect yep. him to produce to where he's at least getting something every single game. And he's doing more than that. I mean, two goals against Vegas, goal assist against Chicago, held off the scoreboard against Columbus, even though they kind of like the way they played. But he's having multi-goal games, which is so important as well, and multi-point games. But he's continuing to, since he came back from injury, he is showing to why he's going to earn a big contract. <laughs> yep. Absolutely he is. And I mean, this is... This is so exciting because I feel like this has been a long time coming um, with with all of us knowing what he's capable of and finally seeing it come to fruition and finally seeing him get that opportunity, like you said, dealing with some injuries at times, but it's it's fantastic and it's what makes it even better is that it's not just him, it truly is a team effort at this point and I love seeing the predators in situations where it might seem like they're at a disadvantage. And yet they find a way mm-hmm. um, that might have happened once in a blue moon in previous seasons, <laughs> but now it's every few games, you know, if three guys are taken out of the lineup, they slide three more back in and they figure it out. Um, it's not just a pure fluke that it worked out for them. They're actually night in and night out, figuring out how to make this work. And that just shows how solid of the makeup of this team is this year yeah and and we look we've talked about it plenty of the season but the power play continues to be in the top echelon of the national mm-hmm. hockey league which shows that it is fixed <laughs> if it's, if it's <laughs> it was it's not just a fluke that the power play has been fixed uh dan lambert has done a, a fantastic job of executing confidence and creativity in the power play and you just see it does feel different out there now when the Predators power plays out there, it's not an expectation to score, but it's more of a, hey, they really do have a chance to score. They're creating opportunities. And yeah, I'm sure the players like, we're going to score, we're going to score. And it's tough to expect that every single time, but you see just a different type of swagger from the team when they're on the power play right now. And they're converting at 25.8%. Mm-hmm. That's pretty darn good. I mean, that's higher than league average. That's what you want. Yeah. Is and to you be mentioned at least something... average or above. <laughs> yep. And you mentioned what's most important is they are creating opportunities. Even if you don't capitalize on one or two, as long as you're out there creating the opportunities, it's likely going to come. And that's what we're seeing. Um, You know, I think we all have watched that power play in years past and you're just like, (laughs) how did anybody on the ice expect that anything's going to come from this? But we're not, we're not saying that this season. We're like, oh, oh, that was good. Okay. That was creative. That was good. (laughs) Okay. 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 Okay, then. (laughs) 
they got that they got that balsamic vinegar uh, going <laughs> as elmo would say uh, <laughs> but, but it, it has been fun to watch and i mean you see other players stepping up too i mean use saros i mean it there's mm. it's it's been so interesting how it's all just flipped from pecorine and this has obviously been a thing uh not mm-hmm. gonna be not to make it we're throwing him under but saros has stepped right up and that's what you hoped for but you didn't necessarily expect that it's been such an easy transition and that's what's been fantastic for this team is that there was a little bit of worry of okay I mean we, we saw the sample size to the end of last mm-hmm. season for Saros but with Pekka leaving there's been, there was that concern and yep. you see how him being mentored by Pekka has made such a difference because he is so super confident in net and his athleticism keeps him in so many games and I mean, he, teams are not going to score more than two goals against him I mean, it's just one of those things. There's been those flute games, but it's just overall. But that's going right to happen now, to every goaltender. Every goaltender. But Yusuf Saros has been playing so, so well, and he continues his pace. He's going to continue to be invested in the trophy conversations. And before we go to break, obviously, you want to throw out Tanner Janot. That has been mm-hmm. such a good, pleasant surprise that we weren't surprised he's going to be physical, but he's at 20 points, 10 goals, and 10 assists. So talk about balance right there. But then when you put him out there against other rookie forwards like Lucas Raymond or Trevor Zegras, mm-hmm. I mean, he's tied for the leading goals for rookies. He is at 20 points, which right now puts him at fourth overall in terms of rookies uh, behind Cider, Zegras, and Raymond. But also in terms of other stats like hits, he's just out of the water <laughs> when it comes to hits. Mm-hmm. The physical plays there, too. He has penalty minutes, but some key stats that I want to throw out quickly from our buddy Kyle Perkins, who's also with the Catfish and Ice podcast, that he put out this meme that has just been triggering salty Red Wings fans. <laughs> so <clears throat> Tanner's, you know, his offensive zone starts are 45. Defensive zone starts 145. Right off the bat, he's being put in a position where he's playing defense and having to shut down. Whereas mm-hmm. Lucas Raymond's 142 ozone starts compared to 67 D zone starts. Trevor Zegers, 158 offensive zone starts compared to 17 <laughs> defensive zone starts. Oh, wow. <laughs> penalty, penalty kill time for Janot, 78 minutes, 52 seconds. Penalty kill time for Raymond, 24 seconds, 17 seconds for Zegers. Power play time, 1352 for Janot over. 87 minutes for Raymond and over 72 minutes for Zegers. I mean, th- those right there too, in terms of the position that Janot was in, plus mm-hmm. goals per 60, 1.16 for Janot, 1.04, Raymond, 0.93 for Zegers. Tanner Janot is producing so, so well, especially the position that he has to play and the opportunity that he's given out there. Yep. The stats alone would tell that, but when you look at the stats and the impact mm-hmm. that he makes on the players around him and on this team, I mean, he's smart and he's productive. Mm -hmm. The stats speak for themselves. There's no reason in the world why he should not be at the very top of that conversation, not just in the mix. I mean, he has to be up there. Oh, he has to, he has to be in the mix for sure. And he's not going to be the sexy pick for voters. And as long as he keeps up the space, he won't be the sexy pick. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I just to be honest, I don't think he'll win because he's not a sexy pick like some of those other guys. But if Kirill Kaprizov can win as an older guy, so containers, you know, because he is a rookie and he deserves to be in the conversation more than anything else. Yep. He deserves to be in the conversation for it because of how he's performing. All right. Up next, let's have Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period. Join us. Talk about the LA Kings. Get his take on the natural predator as well from a natural perspective and what he thinks about the Olympics and should it be a World Cup 
of hockey again as well. All that up next, Penalty Box Radio, ESPN, 1025, the game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN, 1025, the game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny, taking care of us as always behind the glass. And joining us now, but also we've had him on, but I talked to him all the time, it seems. We have Dennis Bernstein from the fourth period. Dennis, welcome back to the show, man. Good evening, Glenn. Great to be with you. Happy to talk uh, Predators hockey with you, and uh, let's do it. Absolutely. So, I mean, as most people probably know, you're based out there in Southern California and everything. So you have an eye on what's going on out there. And obviously with the Predators and the Kings coming up, we want to touch base there too, especially because there's still that Preds connection to the Kings. I know Glenn wants to ask about Arvids in there too, but what's the the state of the the Los Angeles Kings right now too? I know they they went through a streak of not getting any points. They finally broke that uh, into the new year. So what's kind of the state of this franchise as they're going through that, that rebuilding phase, but obviously have plenty of young skilled talent mixed with some of those old vets too. Yeah, JB, I think when you look at this team over the 33 games, I think they're point-wise, they're 10th in the Western Conference. And I think that's where you would be uh, going into the season. They're still having a lot of uh, prospects in the system. They really haven't come through yet from an offensive standpoint. You know, their, their top guy, uh, Quentin uh, Byfield, he was supposed to start the season. He had a solid training camp, broke his ankle in the preseason game. So he's down in Ontario, uh, still not rehabbing, but still getting some time down there uh, with the minor league team before he comes back. But you'll see him uh, before the end of the season. So I think it's a it's a fair representation where this team stands. Um, they said at the beginning of the season, the rebuild's over. They are a much more competitive team. And when they're really competitive is when they check. If this team checks, they're going to be in games. They're not a, a powerhouse offensive team. But with Jonathan Quick playing like he did in 2018 when he won the Jennings Trophy, they have a puncher's chance of winning most games. They played a handful of poor games. But they're one of those teams, JB, that because of their offense, they're never really out of a game, but they never really separate from the opposition. So don't expect a lot of scoring in the first period uh, on Thursday night. That's my first assumption. And they can't separate. So when they get a one-goal lead, if they get a one-goal lead in the second period, it's probably going to be a one-goal lead in the third period. So to me, it's a tight defensive team that's played a lot better than Tom McClellan, improving team. So they'll give Nashville a tussle. But I would expect, as in most games with Los Angeles this season, a low-scoring affair at Crypto.com Arena, no longer Staples Center uh, in L.A. on Thursday. (laughs) And Dennis, something that no team has been exempt from this season, a very bizarre, abrupt change in your schedule at any given moment. The Kings were no different in December, along with COVID protocol, along with the holidays. At one point, they were off the ice for a week. Um, A sudden break like that can either benefit players or it can hinder players. So now that they've had three games since then, winning two of those three, how do you feel like they bounced back from that break so far? Glenn, if you watched that first game, it really hurt them. They got mm-hmm. their defense was hard is the worst defensive play I've seen in all season against the Vegas Golden Knights. And of all the teams to do that against, that's probably the wrong team. So yeah, they lost six three in that game, but they've gotten progressively better. I think the practice after that game, Todd went at them. He gave him the gears. He said, look, that, that's not acceptable. Just not even the, the offensive or the, the errors of commission. I just think that assignments were missed that were never missed all season. I think that break, like you mentioned, was not good for the team, but they bounced back. Shootout went over a Vancouver team, which is one of the hottest league teams in the league, other than maybe the Predators and the Blues. And then a, a nice win behind that. Um, so to me, uh, they needed that time off from a rest standpoint. They were rusty the first game, but they've backed it now with two wins against the uh, uh, the Philadelphia game was the other game. So they're rounding into shape. But again, this is a team that 
is probably going to be on the outside looking in. And it wouldn't be a failure if they missed the playoffs this season. But uh, again, they're rounding into shape. And again, if they check, they're going to be in games. If they if they don't play a smart off a defensive game, um, it's going to be a tough night for the LA Kings. And obviously, while we have you here, we have to ask you about a name that's all too familiar in Nashville, fan favorite Victor Arvidsson. Um, two goals, two assists in his last his last outing. Dennis, what is your take on his game so far and how he benefits this team now that he's settled in and established himself as a player on this roster? Well, he's no different than the guy that left Nashville, right? So he, he he's an energy guy. He causes a COVID protocol, was asymptomatic when he was in COVID. That certainly hurt. The, the last couple of weeks, he, he's been better, right? He's been the guy that is advertised. He's not a top-line player. He's not the the 33 goal guy that you knew four or five seasons ago in Nashville, could he get 20 or 25 on the second line on the top six? Yeah. And he's not a top six guy. So right now his success has been really with I follow and uh, Phil Deneau playing on that line. The, the thought was coming in hey, top line, sweetest connection, Kopitar with Kent Bay and Arvidsson just didn't work. The chemistry with Kopitar and that's no disrespect to either player just didn't work. It, it's been a lot better chemistry with Deneau and I follow who now is in the COVID protocol as of today. So he's not going to be in the lineup tomorrow night, but um, what you see is what you get with, with Victor, a high energy guy, a guy they needed because they really didn't have top six wingers on this team. So while you'd expect more, you'd probably want, Victor at the end of the season to be closer to the higher end of the 220 goal range than the lower end, but he may come in at 21 or 22 goals this season. If you look at the projections and that wouldn't be bad for a, a player that they needed on the lineup. And again, join us right now on penalty box here with Dennis Bernstein at the fourth period. Uh, DB, when, when we look at this team, you mentioned him earlier, Quentin Byfield. I mean, there's a lot of excitement surrounding that player too, and what he's going to provide. What are what are the scopes for him and the projections for him and what kind of NHLer he's going to be? Because, I mean, I love prospects. A lot of people that listen to the show love prospects as well, too. So for Quentin Byfield, just what's the top for him and what are people excited about him when he's finally really settled into the NHL? Well, JB, when you look at their prospect list, he's at the top. He's the And when I look at the ones that have played, like Turcotte's played for three games here. Alex Turcotte, who was the fifth overall pick a couple of drafts ago, he's not an elite player. And none of the other prospects, as much as people want to talk about the prospects and the like, there's one elite player potentially, and that is Quentin Byfield. So he's not there yet. He played six games last year. I saw them all, even when there are no fans in the stands. He didn't look out of place, JV. It didn't look like it was too much for him. Um, he had a good training camp. And like I said, the expectation was that he was going to be on the varsity come opening night, and he just wasn't. He lost time and he's only played I think up until him coming back from the injury he had only played four games in seven months and so you can't play throw a player who's 19 years old back into the lineup with that little time played so he has to go down I know some fans are impatient maybe I'm a little impatient too you want to see the guy up here in Los Angeles but he needs time he needs time on the first line he needs to play those 18 19 minutes a night um, he can't do that in LA because there's Andre Kopitar and filled to know so when he does get here the great saving grace for him is that he doesn't have to be, you know, Kirby Doc, or he doesn't have to be the, the guy to go into the top line and save this team. He can come in and play 15 minutes a night on the third line. And that's been kind of the biggest hole for the Kings has been their third line. They just can't get the right combination. So when he's ready and they're not going to rush him, he'll come in and play 15 minutes a night. And then they expect him to be, you know, the heir apparent to Andre Kopitar. That's why they drafted him too. And that's why they didn't trade for Jack Eichel because they needed to put him in the deal. And they steadfastly refused to do it because they believe he is and I believe he is the one elite prospect they have in the list of prospects that they do have. 
Well, it's absolutely going to be an exciting time once he finally gets in there and is able to show off all the skills he has because he definitely has plenty of skill. So flipping this now, doing a 180, especially because the Predators are doing surprisingly well, and it's because of your perspective, because you you cover the entirety of the NHL, you keep an eye on everything going on. How much of a surprise is it to you um, as, as a national guy that looks at everything on how the Predators perform in the season? Obviously, not many people even locally in Nashville thought they were going to be in the place where they're at as competitive as they are. And we know the season still has a long way to go, but overall, they're showing that they're a competitive team. So how surprising is it to you? And what do you see from a Nashville perspective that is making Nashville kind of exciting and difficult to play against right now? Well, I think on a scale of 1 to 10, my surprise is an 11. <laughs> I never saw this coming and I'm, but I'm not afraid to say I didn't see it. Come. Look, right. what, what could you have forecasted um, in the success run by, by uh, Nashville? Could you, could you forecast Saros two twenty three goals against nine twenty seven? You could absolutely. Mm-hmm. Could you, could you forecast Roman Yossi playing at an Ars trophy level? Absolutely. Could you have said Philip Forsberg coming back 17 and 10 and 25? Sure. Now what you couldn't have forecasted. I don't think anybody thinks Matt Duchesne would have been a point of game player this season. And he's been fantastic. And even look, even the people that criticize Ron Johansson, you look at his numbers, he's been productive. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger surprise or to me the most, when you look at that third line and look at a training and you look at Taylor Janot, like Taylor Janot, 10 goals, 10 assists, 34 games. Thir- sorry, didn't see that coming. So I think that the depth of this lineup, that it's not just one line. If you would have to, said to me, Hey, what do you think about Nashville this year? If they're successful, I would say, okay, one line team, not too much depth. There's more depth than I than I surmised, right? And even a, a Tolvanen, who's you know, he does have great numbers, but to me, uh, certainly they've responded to John Hines. There's no question about that. The message is getting through, and I just think that the the you know the the depth players like a Carrier, he's putting up some numbers there. Ekholm, what you see is what you get. So I think there's some things you could have forecasted. But I think just the collective of this team that plays together and plays tough, like to me, I, I didn't see this run coming on. They're eight, one and one in their last 10. I didn't see it going. But to be honest, when they walked into Vegas last night, I picked them to win that game because I, I just love their play, the way they're playing right now. I just think that their depth, when you win in this league, JB, what is it because? Because you're getting it from three or four lines. You're not mm-hmm. just getting it from one line. You know? And look, the teams that have just one line, I could tell you like team like Edmonton, which is something right. right now, can't do it in this league. So I just think that the depth, some of these uh, guys that are making contributions, I didn't see happening. Some I did. And so the collective, you have a team that's, you know, challenging for first place in, in the division. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. We, we, knew, we knew that some elements would be there, but not every single element. Uh, so before we have to wrap up with you, obviously, the, the big thing has been about the Olympics and, and the future of sure. that and everything, too. And and we've seen some potential rumors of rosters that are going to be releasing everything. But just wanted to kind of get your take on this, because this has been a big deal for a lot of these young players, especially a guy like Connor McDavid and some other ones to not be able to play in the Olympics two times in a row now as well, too. And just so what are your thoughts on the Olympics and the NHL there, too, and even the potential of would the Winter Olympics not be the best place for the NHL for, for hockey? Would the Summer Olympics make more sense? It was a rumor that Bettman asked for as well. Just your overall your take on this whole situation. Baby, I don't know why they just don't do the World Cup of Hockey. It was right. such a success. I was there in 2016. It was great. It's in North America. The lake makes money off it. So to me, and I think, JB, once we get to the Olympics and you see the experience of something that, like, if you look at reports about what's going on in Beijing, there are food shortages there. So I don't think it would be, in a normal year, be very enjoyable for these people, uh, for for these athletes. And now to go with the quarantine regulations they're going to have, which are very, very strict in Beijing, 
I think when they go back and they look at what happened to these athletes or just the experience, the quote unquote Olympic experience, it, it wouldn't be fun for these guys. And I think that's it. So to me, if you want best on best, like you want the World Health Cup of Hockey, if you want to win a gold medal, and I go back to what Brad Marchand said, like if Brad Marchand wants a gold medal, then when his team gets knocked out in the first round, JB, because they're not that good, he can go play in the world championships and win himself a, a gold medal. If he wants best on best, let him sign up and push and be at the front of the table for the PA demanding to do a World Cup of Hockey. To me, it's a great tournament. It's in North America. It'll be highly attended. ESPN and TNT can televise it. And that's the other thing. You know, when you look at the new broadcast partners, it's TNT and ESPN. Like they're not promoting the Winter Olympics because it's on NBC. So for, I think it's the smart move and the right move not to go to the Olympics. And you know, when it's not North America, I'm not staying up till four o'clock in the morning to see Kazakhstan play, you know, China, and the <laughs> game's going to be 17-16. It makes absolutely no sense. And to me, I think it's the right move. And I've always been that way. I've always said, what are we doing, Olympics, especially? in the framework and the backdrop of what's going on with COVID and everything else. Mm -hmm. I think you got to get this season completed. And I think that, and now you need those, those weeks that you're going to go to the Olympics to reschedule games. So I think it's absolutely the right move. And again, I would press for the world cup of hockey if I'm both the players and the NHL. Well, that's where I knew with the final question, we we keep it hot. Like you do on Sirius XM there. (laughs) (laughs) DB appreciate your time so much and your takes. Uh, Just looking forward to to the game against the Kings. And as always, man, appreciate talking to you. Thanks for the time on Pelly Box Radio. I appreciate it. Anytime. Absolutely. There you go. Dennis Bernstein of the fourth period joining us. You can follow him at Dennis TFP on Twitter. Great information there. He all over the country covering hockey and especially the teams of Southern California, the Kings and the Ducks. If you want to see more about them, he has great coverage there. Okay. Up next, Brooks Bratton of the Nashville Predators and the President Official Podcast joining us. He's been doing so much coverage of this team, especially with COVID going on, traveling with the team, not traveling with the team, but doing so much extensive coverage uh, on what's going on with the Nashville Predators. Let's talk to him next on Penalty Box here to ESPN 1025 The Game. All right, welcome back to Penalty Box here here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell. And joining us right now, we have Brooks Bratton of the National Predators, the Preds official podcast, which you can hear here on 102.5 The Game. Brooks, thanks so much for joining us. Justin, great to talk to you. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. So it's been been quite the past, well, almost two years now of it just being a little bit weird with the NHL, but things are progressing and, and the Predators are doing extremely well. Um, a, a great surprise for so many involved in this team. You can see is just so much gelled together and you see a different type of swagger that this team has. What have you noticed overall just about this team since you're around them all the time and, and the extensive coverage you have just from the beginning of the season where things might have been a little shaky to how this team is gelled to where you see them right now where they just expect to win or are so difficult to play against? Well, I think it really goes back to last season. And we, all of us in in this realm of things, we've talked about the way that things turned around last season and uh, they, they win 20 games in the second half and they make the playoffs. But so for me, that's really where it started when, when guys started buying into the identity, that's the biggest buzzword of the John Hines era is identity and the way that this team needs to play to be successful they found that in the second half last year. And then you mentioned the start this year. Didn't get off to the greatest start. Only one win in the first four games. But the difference between that and maybe, say, last season at times at the beginning of last year where John Hines has admitted they hit rock bottom last year. But instead, this season, even though they didn't find immediate success to start, they were playing the right way. 
And John Hines even said that recently, you come out of the holiday break with a couple of losses, one in Washington, one in Columbus. And even though they lost those two, he said, look, you're not going to win all 82 games. But as long as the identity and the process is there, you're going to be okay. And that's for me, I think the biggest thing is this team collectively as a group, they've realized the way that they need to play as a team to be successful. That's a a hard-nosed brand of hockey. We know how physical they've been recently. They've got players that can do that. Obviously, their top players have been their top players, which hasn't all always been the case with this group necessarily but the top four scorers Roman Yossi Mikhail Granlin I should say top five scorers Roman Yossi Mikhail Granlin Matthew Shane Philip Forsberg and Ryan Johansson that's who you need at the top and that's exactly what's happening and then like we all know this too I think he really established himself last year that he could do it but how good has UC Saros been and and that's you know to me one of if not the biggest reason why the Predators are where they are. So I guess if you want to boil it down to three things, I think Saros has been fantastic. The top players have played the way that they need to play. But overall, it's to me, you've got to have everybody contributing and everybody has done that in their own certain special way. They've played their roles and this group has come together, played the way that they need to play, the way that John Hines believes they need to play. They've all bought in and they're finding success because of it. Brooks, I want to dig into that identity a little bit from a from a mental standpoint. Um, you quoted John Hines in your article on NHL.com after the 6-1 win against Chicago, and he said, we won the game because we had very good goaltending, our special teams came through, and we had opportunistic scoring. But when I think, when you look at the identity of how we want to play, we weren't at the level we need to be. And I think a statement like that is very telling of the standard at which this team has set the bar for themselves when you win a game six to one and you're still able to say, well, we weren't playing at the level we needed to be. So what does that say to you about how well-rounded this team is mentally and about the expectation that the players and coaches have set for themselves? Well, and and that's a great point because you guys know this, like hockey is such a funny game in that way that Mm -hmm. I don't know another sport where you can win by five goals and there you're kind of after the game, you're kind of like, eh, that wasn't our best. And you, you might look at the box score and say, what do you mean you won by five goals? But so much of it about is about the process in hockey. Again, you go back to those two losses in Columbus and Washington, they lost, but the Preds really liked the way that they played in that one. And even though you come out against Chicago on new year's day and win six, one, that process, that identity wasn't there. So that's a really good point. And to me, that's a sign of a team that really knows who they are. They know, as John Hines likes to say, you know what you're going to get from Predators hockey when it's done the right way. And that is a team that, you know, they're they're sticking up for one another. They believe in each other. They're playing for each other. it's, It's not the same guys every night either, right? Like you're, again, your top players, for the most part, are the ones that are contributing most often on the score sheet. But that's not always the case every night. Other guys have chipped in. Saros has been great, but David Riddick has done his job when he's been called upon in the backup position. Uh, you know, you're, you're getting contributions from everywhere. And I, I just think that that's you know, like, like I go back to something that Colton Sisson said in training camp. And we know all the pundits and the predictions. You've, you've, you've got to 
pick everyone. You've got to put everyone somewhere in the division standings, right? And we know that the Predators from most national folks and, uh, and whatnot, they were down towards the bottom of the division. And I go back to what Colton Sisson said and, uh, you know, something to the effect of like, well, we're, you know, we're just, we know what we are as a team. We know what we have and we're looking forward to proving a lot of people wrong. And of course he's going to say something like that, but at the same time, it's, you know, I, I think maybe a lot of people from what they had seen over the last couple of years underestimated what this team was capable of and, and what they had started to build last season. And so much of that has carried over and, and you've just really seen it, especially in those games like a game last night when the Predators have played the way that they need to play and want to play uh, more often than not, they, they've found uh, points in the standings. And I'm tempted to ask you, how did Philip Forsberg do what he did on his second goal last night? But I don't think any of us have an answer for that. So, <laughs> But prior no. to last night's game, uh, the Preds power play goals were tied for fifth most in the NHL. I believe now they're at six, but they had scored seven power play goals in their last five games before the game against Vegas. And as we know, this hasn't always been the conversation that we've had surrounding the Preds power play. So what factors do you feel like are contributing most to this success that they've had in this? Is this something that's sustainable to help carry them throughout the rest of the season? Well, it's, I, I mean, it's going to have to be right. Like you, you've got to have outstanding special teams to really make a run in this league, especially come playoffs. And we're a long way from that. There's still four months to go in the regular season, but you know, the, the penalty kill, you, you mentioned it uh, in the Chicago game, the penalty kill was great and thank goodness it was. And on the contrary, on the power play as well, you know, that's something that the Predators need to continue to find success with. And, and I think for one, something that we noticed early on was the puck movement and just the, the different looks that they were getting, right? Like I think before it almost seemed stagnant, like guys weren't moving, teams were able to get a couple guys um, a couple of players on, uh, you know, a, a guy on the wing or a guy at the point, And all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, I have, you know, I'm, I'm stuck here. I have nowhere to go with it. And I, I think just the fact that the Preds have mixed things up a little bit, their, their puck movement has been excellent on the power play. They've been giving teams different looks and, you know, they, I, I think they just have more options. I think they have more confidence too. I feel like so much of uh, something like the power play is confidence, right? Because to me, when you go out there with the players that you have, highly skilled players, how can you not have in your head, okay, well, yes, we're supposed to score on this. And if we don't score, then we'll, something's wrong. What, what happened? What's the issue? And I think in, in recent seasons, it just built and built and built to the point where your confidence was, is totally gone. And it was, it was an issue that for whatever reason, the Predators weren't able to work out of it. I think Dan Lambert has done a great job. He's the assistant coach that, that runs the power play truly and comes up with a lot of the schemes and, and, and plays and whatnot. So, you know, a, a fresh approach and, and all you need to, I think, again, so much of it is confidence. The fact that they have found success little by little, they got some goals early in the season. And that says to me, that says to people on the ice, like, oh, all right, we're okay. And, and I think so much of that has played into what you've seen throughout the season. And you know, you're not going to score a power play goal every game, but so much of it is like the overall game too. Even if we get away from it, we know we can come back to it. And that's the difference between this team now compared to past versions. 
you really can see how dynamic that power play is just the creativity behind it the way they're opening up different lanes it's been such a, a breath of fresh air to see too what what they can do we knew the talent was always there uh the execution necessarily wasn't and now they're executing along with that talent so it's been fun to see again brooks bratton natural predators uh joining us right now brooks before we have to let you go obviously got to ask tanner Janot. He is making such a push right now. And well, first of all, proving why he was protected in the expansion draft. But when you compare him to other rookie forwards like uh, Trevor Zegers and Lucas Raymond, I mean, what he's able to accomplish in terms of where he's starting, like he's getting well over one majority defensive zone starts, but still scoring at a pace that is near with the other top forwards in terms of the Calder Cup race. What is it about Tanner Janot's game that you really enjoyed? And is this something that a lot of people could have predicted in the offseason when they were saying, why did they protect Tanner Janot? And now you see why. Oh, absolutely. And I, I don't know that any of us saw that at the time, right? There were a lot of people <laughs> questioning, you know, like, what, what? You protected Tanner Janot? What in the world? And it's like, well, you have to remember that the, and I always kind of laugh to myself, but like the people that are making these decisions, they know more than hockey than all of us. Right. <laughs> and so there's got to like, I'm always like, all right, well, let's take a step back instead of immediately just throwing our hands in the air and saying, what on earth? Sit back and think, well, what's the reasoning for this? Why, why was this the choice? And having said that, I don't know that anybody saw this coming. I, I mean, I, I think that, you, right, like you knew what you were going to get from Janot from a physical standpoint. You knew, you knew that he was a physical player. He had size, and he he was willing to use it. He was willing to stick up for teammates. I don't know that the offensive side of things, right? Like I don't know that anybody would have predicted he would have had ten goals to this point. Although, and I I really am not someone who likes to pump my own tires, but I will for a second because I never do this. But I said on the Preds official podcast at the beginning of the season in training camp from one preseason game that I saw him play and he scored two goals in Florida. And I'm like, oh, he he learned how to have some hands in front of the net. <laughs> and I, I said on the show, I'm like, you watch Tanner Janot's going to score 20 goals. And I'm like, OK, well, that'll oh. it probably won't happen because nothing like that I say ever happens. But like so far, so good. Right. And he, he totally deserves to be in the Calder conversation. I, I wrote about this today on Preds.com, but you, you look at the offensive numbers, which is what most people are going to go by. So he's tied for first in, in goals among rookies with 10. He's fourth in points with 20. He's first in even strength goals with nine. So the offensive numbers, like he's in the neighborhood, but then you go to the physical side of things. He leads rookies in hits, and it's not even close. He's sixth in the league in hits overall. He's got 50 penalty minutes. 30 of those have come off of six fighting majors, which I don't think that he's ever lost a fight in the NHL. Right. <laughs> and to me, like, I, and I hope that people will look at this if, if he continues on this pace. And if he does, I hope that people will take into account. He may not be leading all rookies in scoring. He may not play on the power play. He may not be the most skilled guy. But is there a rookie in the NHL right now that means more overall, that does more for his team than Tanner Janot? I don't think there is. No, I, I agree because the difference that he makes in the time that he's given, given the position that he's in as well, plus he's playing on the penalty kill. So, I mean, he's mm -hmm. not getting power play time either. So it's been pretty impressive to see what he's been able to do. But, but Brooks, we, we got to go and we can't thank you enough for your time and your insight, especially uh, given how much you cover this team. So really appreciate your time, man. Of course. Thanks to both of you. Always great to be with you and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man.
All right. That was Brooks Bratton, Nashville Predators, also the Preds official podcast. Really appreciate his insight there. Up next, let's wrap it up. Plenty of questions came in. I think we might talk a little bit more Tanner Janot. I know there's a Marvel question in there related to the Predators. So we'll talk that up next. Penalty Box Radio, ESPN 102.5 The Game. And welcome back to Penalty Box Radio here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Justin Bradford, Glenn Blackwell, producer Kenny behind the glass taking care of us. We always appreciate that. So we had plenty of questions come in. And I'm sure we probably covered some of it uh, in the previous segment with Brooks Bratton as well. But this one comes in first from Sam Fleming, good friend of the show. He's been on with us before. Which player of the season has surprised you guys the most? Oh, Sam. (laughs) I don't really know. I don't really know that I have a single player. I think my biggest surprise was that I had this expectation that we were going to be watching a lot of the younger guys come in and try to find their feet. We were going to be watching Yusuf Saros try to transition. Um, and then we're watching Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg all turn into the productive players that we were expecting them to. So I think mm-hmm. that's been my biggest surprise is seeing them finally get to the point where they're playing the way that they should be. Um, and so I don't really know if it's a player specific, but I think I'm just most surprised that And I shouldn't be because we've talked about the youth coming in and kind of jolting the veteran players that have the largest contracts on the team that should be playing their best game that weren't. Mm -hmm. Um, But finally starting to see that, I think, is my biggest surprise because I feel like it all started to happen at the same time for them. I like that. I like that. I think for me, the biggest surprise is going to be Matt Duchesne Mm -hmm. Um, because, I mean, in in the game against Vegas, the way he put the brakes on and just broke Mm -hmm. ankles – I mean, mm-hmm. that's the, the plays like that, too, is we weren't seeing that type of swagger. And I, I keep mentioning the word swagger because you can tell it's out there. There's confidence. Yep. And with confidence comes swagger, meaning you are confident that you can do stuff that you weren't confident you were going to do before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, Philip Forsberg's always had a little bit of a swagger to his game. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the way that he just interacts with the crowd too after he scores a goal, especially in a way crowd. Uh, but Matt Duchesne's been a surprise player. I mean, 29 points in 30 games he's missed a couple games due to injury uh and everything but he is performing so much better than anyone would have expected because of the previous sample size with the predators that he's had so he's been a true surprise player in a very positive way because Mm -hmm. he's one of the reasons why they're at where they're where they are right now because you before the season people writing him and ryan johansson to do okay but not Mm -hmm. perform at a point per game pace this far into the season so that's been a, a definite surprise uh, this one is probably going to be more for me, Glenn, than you. Uh, this okay, you take it away. Play. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if this season was an MCU movie, a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, which one would it be? Okay, I was about to Google what MCU I know. Was, so thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to go with, and people are probably going to think certain things, but I'm going to go with Guardians of the Galaxy. And the reason I'm going with Guardians of the Galaxy is not to say this whole team's a bunch of misfits, but it kind of had that mentality going in because you had a bunch of young players, you had some... People that people were talking about being overpaid and not playing up to their standards. So a misfit status coming together and just having fun to save Mm -hmm. the universe. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this season's kind of been like that. You can tell there's a certain type Uh of swagger about them now. And the Guardians of the Galaxy have a certain type of swagger about them with how they take on villains. And they have that chip on the shoulder attitude. Difficult to play against. So I think Guardians of the Galaxy makes the most sense for that question. And I do love those kinds of questions when they come in all the single time. Uh, so let's see here. This one comes from Kyle. What do you see a potential Forsberg extension looking like? Max term, same pay as Johansson and Duchesne or a little bit more. 
Glenn, what are your thoughts first? Oh, I mean, do we even go there yet? Because there's so (laughs) many different scenarios that I've played out in my head over and over of what if this happens? What if he stays? What if he goes? What do you get for that? And I mean, with the way that he is performing right now, that keeps up. I mean, he's only increasing his value. There's no doubt, but it's, but then you have to question what is this team capable of giving? I don't know. I really don't. Right. That's so the, the pace that Forsberg's at right now would make him obviously set a new single season goal record for the predators. Mm -hmm. And if he stays at that pace and that's again, you have to get past the trade deadline to know how he's going to finish the season. (laughs) And that makes it very difficult because that's coming up on up on us. Very, very soon. When I say very soon, relative to what it was a few weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's getting close to demanding that because the, you, when you see the performance and everything yep. too, that it's going to be $9 million and I'd say what six years is probably, mm-hmm. it's going to be, it's, I think if anything, it's coming down to a no movement clause. I think that's really what it's going to come down to for Forsberg to, to resign is going to come to that. Cause I think the predators, they have the cap space with trading away Arvidsson and Ellis. They have the cap space to, to, to sign him. They do to, to a big contract. It's just, do you want that much into him? And at this point, if he's performing like this, even if he's going to miss six to seven games or 10 games a season, you, and still, still, does this, you still want that. Yeah. You still yeah. want the performance. You just deal with it. I mean, mm-hmm. other teams have dealt with, with star players that that had missed due to injury it just happens. So I think that's what I'd probably be looking at is you're probably looking at nine to, to 9.75 or so, and people are going to roll their eyes, but it's like, he's going to have the examples right there on the same team. And we'll look at what they're doing. I should be getting this and I've been a more consistent producer. Yep. Yeah. And you All can't right. fault him for that. No, you know? no, you can't get that's paid. exactly how it would play out. Exactly. Get paid, man. Get paid. Yep. Uh, this <laughs> one comes from our buddy, Jack Woods. Which song is better to serenade a loved one with? <laughs> Let's stay together by Al Green. Or oh, okay. if you love me by Brenda Lee. Oh, okay. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna go with "Let's Stay Together." Okay. Because if you love me, it's it doesn't sound <laughs> like this song, but it has a vibe of like Marilyn Monroe singing to the president. Right. Just, I don't, it's not really my jam. Oh my god. So if I'm gonna serenade a loved one, I'm gonna go with Al Green for sure. What about okay. you, JB? Well, I, I would go with the Al Green one, but me being the nerd that I am, I would just rather prefer it's been a long, long time by Harry James. Okay. It's the song that Steve Rogers and, and, and Peggy Carter dance to. (laughs) Well, you can throw that one in there. It's the, it's, it's a beautiful song and any, any Marvel fan is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. You hear the trumpet solo and that's all it takes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, This one comes from Nashville rain. Uh, Has this been our most physical team to date? We've seen some bruisers uh, that also have some skill thoughts. So I wouldn't say the most physical team to date necessarily. I'd say the most physical with skill, kind of like what you alluded to in, in your question there, that they can, this team can be physical while also producing. And that's what's so important in today's NHL is you can't just have a guy that's a bruiser. You have to have yep. one that brings more to the team. Tanner Janot brings more to the team than big hits and fights. Yakov exactly. Trenin brings more than big hits and being able to throw a punch every once in a while too. Uh, Colton Sissons, uh, he can be a very physical player, but he's also a guy that can play up and down the lineup too. So that's what today's NHL calls for. If you're going to have somebody that's a bruiser, they also have to be able to produce in a different way. They have to have more qualities than just being able to throw a punch or to lay out a hit. So I would say that this is definitely Nashville's most physically skilled team. Skilled team. Yeah. I think so too. And I, yep. I absolutely agree. I think you're totally right when you say we seem to have more bruisers that also have skill because 
people are using their bodies properly out on the ice, but like you said, they're also incredibly productive. So I think yeah. you nailed it. Yeah. Nashville rain. Nashville rain. Good. That's a good question there too. This one mm-hmm. comes from Terrence. Who's the favorite for the Calder trophy and why is it Tanner Janot? So we, we discussed this in our opening segment about Tanner Janot and why he should be part of the conversation. This is me coming from a perspective of what I think it's going to go with. I think he'll be a part of the conversation if he continues at the pace that he's at, but it's going to be very difficult for the, the writers that picked this award for the people mm-hmm. that picked this award to give him the favorite because of I, the sexy picks. I agree. But do you also agree that on impact alone and stats, he should be at the very, very, very top on impact for the team. Yeah. Because this team wouldn't be where they're at without Tanner Janot right now. Not yep. say that he's MVP, but he's been, he's been a he's difference maker. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and why they are where they're at. And yeah, people can argue too. I mean, Detroit's had a, a season that they would not expect. Same thing with Anaheim mm-hmm. with Trevor Zegers and, and Lucas Raymond. But Tanner Janot, in terms of his physicality, what he brings, yeah, I really do like that. And it's going to be plenty of salty people with those answers there to deserve <laughs> to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. Okay. This one comes from 615KC. Uh, I'm a big Heinz fan. Some on Preds Facebook would disagree with that. Uh, great at developing <laughs> players and also getting the most out of them. Uh, but Ben Harper is the riddle I can't solve. Why does Heinz play him? Does he think he can be developed? So the, the thing with Ben Harper now is he's only played eight games this season. That's that's actually an improvement over where we think we might be at. We have your Matt Benny has played 30. Uh, let's see. Mark Borvieski has played 27. Uh, Philippe Myers has played 13 now. He finally got his first point uh, in mm-hmm. that game against Vegas as well, too, which is really great for him. Uh, but I, I don't, I'm not going to keep harping on the Ben Harper thing anymore because you see that other players are getting more time over him. And that's what's important too, is that he just needs to be there as a true depth and not getting all the playing time like what he did in the past, because that is definitely a mystery. And I mean, as, as you've talked about Glenn too, and as we've talked about with um, Brooks Bratton, there seems there's a buy-in and more and more people naturally starting to recognize that too, the buy-in where they're playing for, for John Hines. This team mm-hmm. is playing for him that they've, they've bought into the system that he has. And you can tell that just on the, on the power play overall with what um, they've done there and instilled there too. But just even the, the swagger again, that I'll say that this team has established where they could, they'll be in every single game that they play. Yep. I mean, there were times when, you know, Ryan Johansson wasn't playing the minutes that he wanted to. And it's because John Hines wasn't getting out of him what he needed. Right. Like you mentioned, Ben Harper is not getting that time like he was before. So it's possible that maybe he does think he could be developed in some way, shape or form, but he's not performing the way that they need him to now. So he's not really getting that ice time anymore. So thank God. Uh, <laughs> all right, folks. Well, we got to go uh, for our guests, uh, Dennis Bernstein, and Brooks Bratton and producer Kenny. Thank you so much for listening. And Glenn, I'm glad we could do this uh, virtually here for people since I'm still quarantined. <laughs> I am too. And I'm glad that my cat didn't cause a scene. So there we go. There we go. Well. Well, folks, thanks so much for tuning in to Penalty Box here. This is Justin Bradford. Uh, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time.